I have a message from the Lord for all of us, as much for Jonathan Crosby and his family as for anyone. Those words are found in the Bible when Ehud, the judge of Israel, buried a two-foot dagger in the belly of King Eglon, king of Moab. This sermon will be less pleasant than a dagger in your belly, but it's a message from the Lord. We live in a sick, perverse society, and I want to make war against a symptom of the sickness. It'll be very kin to last Sunday's sermon, because I don't really know of anything more important for us, and it's not me. This is what the Lord gave me. You're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's where we'll take up our lesson. But I want you to remember the words from last Sunday, that when the Apostle Paul was asked, would you come and tell me the way of Christ? Would you tell me of faith in Christ? What did he talk about? It wasn't prophetic speculation. It wasn't Christian entertainment. It was righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And when he was done, it wasn't clapping of the hands. It wasn't rolling in the aisles. It wasn't passing of the plate. It was trembling. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. I know it's hot and stuffy in here, but it's hot and stuffier in hell. Amen. And if you'll just give me a little bit of time, I won't be that long, and I'll, I'll do the best I can. If you'll do the best you can, then we'll do the, all that the Lord expects us to do. Try to stay awake. It's for your salvation. It's for your profit. It's from the Lord. Why don't we tremble? Because life in America in 1996 is too funny. What's so funny? Our lives are bombarded with laughter, with folly, with foolishness, with jesting, with banqueting, with chambering, with wantonness, because Satan has a new technique. And it's not all that new, because remember, there's no new thing under the sun. So I've got Bible verses for it this morning, because what has been is. What is shall be if Jesus doesn't return. And if he returns, there'll be no more laughter, except of a godly sort. What's so funny? Why don't you tremble? Why don't I tremble? I'll tell you why. Because we're addicted to pleasure and laughter, because it's the easiest, lowest, common denominator of sinful men, and because Satan uses it to blow everything of importance out of our minds. It's much easier to laugh. It's much easier to watch entertainment that causes you to laugh than to discipline your mind, exercise temperance, and consider and muse on things that are painful. And the things that are painful are, where am I coming short? in living righteously before God. We don't want to do that. And Satan knows it, so he has filled our lives with a buffet of entertainment choices that will blow away every thought you could ever have that's serious toward God. If you like Jim Carrey, you're sick. If you can even watch him, you're sick. I just pick him because he's the rage. He's an actor in Hollywood that gets paid 20 million a crack for acting like blank, 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 and you can fill in anything you want to. He's out of hell, just like the rest of Hollywood. They are not working to cause us to be sober, to reflect and to reason on righteousness, judge, temperance and judgment to come, and to lead us to trembling they want to lead us to laughter. So my message this morning can be entitled, What's So Funny? could also be entitled, Trembling or Laughing. What's it going to be? 
If we laugh, we can't tremble. You can't do both. Now, there's a, there's a righteous laughter, but I'm going to spend one second of time on that this morning. I'm not going to preach a balance this morning. I don't believe in balance. I hate balance. Because Satan hates balance. Whenever you preach a message like this, somebody's going to come up and say afterward, but isn't there a place? Didn't you go too far? Can't we laugh too? When we are so sober that our cheeks are dragging the ground, when we are so sober that we look anorexic because we're fasting and praying and mourning so much, when we are so sober that it cannot be said by anyone they have any joy of the Lord in their hearts, then we'll worry about a balance. But that isn't the problem today. We don't need a balance. We need violent conversion and repentance to a more serious outlook on life. The wise man, he tried it all. He had his court jesters, and he gave himself to madness and folly. While you're there on the page, if you're still there at the page, look at the first two verses of chapter 2. I'm sorry it's hot. I'm sorry it's stuffy. I wish it weren't. I wish you were in my cooler at the deli. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the first two verses. I said in mine heart. I mean, here's Solomon trying everything. Go to now. I will prove thee with mirth. That's watching a sitcom. Constant laughter. I'll prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. Having fun and laughing and pleasure is vanity, the wise man tells us. Verse 2, in his wisdom, here's what he concludes about laughter and mirth. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth, what doeth it? Now, why don't all the comedians try that text on? They will try that text on. They will stand naked and exposed before that text someday. That's right. And the God that lives and breathes the principles of truth that are the basis of that text. These are not the mere words of a man who came to a conclusion. These are also the words of a God that thinks laughter is mad. For men to laugh. For him to laugh because he's perfectly righteous is one thing. For us to laugh, being sinners with judgment coming and death coming, laughter is mad. What is it? The wise man would say. He came to the, you know what the conclusion is, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. That is nothing to laugh about. That is nothing to laugh about. We are so different from two generations ago. My grandfather, who died in 1979, my father's father, my paternal grandfather, I remember as a boy, you know, I'm so old, uh, 30 years ago, you remember what television was like 30 years ago? What'd they have? Rin Tin Tin Lassie. I love Lucy. Uh, who's that ugly little girl with the curly hair? Um, anyway, you know, television back then was a whole lot different than it is today. I remember him hating the click of the knob 30 years ago when I was a nine-year-old boy. Hearing that knob come on and bringing that chatter and clatter and prating fools into a living room. All I'd have to do is hear that the thing was on, and all of a sudden he hated us grandchildren. <laughs> I remember that. What's wrong with him, man? He doesn't... You know, he'd, when he smiled, when he smiled, it was like getting a dessert from an angel. Because he didn't do it very often. Because you know what? His life was hard. And his life was sober. And it's changed. If we ever acted like that for one day, people would have us committed. If we're not constantly making little jesting jokes and laughing and grinning, what a difference. You can't find a picture of your grandparents where they're saying cheese. Now, I know I've said that before and people think it's trite, but you can't. You can't find one. 
You can search through all your photo albums and you will not find one picture of your grandparents where they're grinning and saying cheese. You know why? Because they didn't grin. There wasn't that much to grin about. Satan, with God's blessing, has given this nation so much fatness that there is no hardship. And so everybody's addicted and obsessed with entertainment and with pleasure and with laughter. And guess what? There is no sober man left. Hardly. There is none left. What are we going to be, though, is what counts this morning. There's no one left. No one that stops, considers, and muses. We have amusement parks. What would your, what would your grandparents have thought of an amusement park? What would the Puritans have thought of an amusement park? How many, how often a year would they have sent their churches to Six Flags over Georgia? I don't want to preach a balance, and if you're starting to fight me in your heads because we need a balance, you're already addicted. And you're disliking the fact that I'm, I'm turning down the IV that you've got in you of pleasure and of laughter. I said of laughter, it is mad. Look at chapter 7. The lesson. The lesson. Why don't we tremble? God has judged our nation with prosperity. Has the prosperity led to a more sober, righteous generation? Are you kidding? From what we can read, when was the most sober, righteous generation that has lived since the apostles when they were all dying martyr deaths and living in catacombs under the city of Rome in tunnels carved out by Roman engineers to extract salt. That's when they lived the best. It's not in a time of prosperity. I read in the Bible when God used a nickname of Israel called Jeshurun, he simply says these few words, Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. What are we kicking against? The horrible judgment to come and the horrible, the, the, the tremendous demands that God places on our lives. We kick against them, and since we don't like that pressure of having to think soberly and seriously and correct our behavior and do things that take work and discipline and temperance and put to death things that we like in our lives, we blow all that away with noise, mirth, and laughter. And Satan's given us a buffet of it, as I already said. Chapter 7, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. Do you believe that? Is that, every, is that the goal of every day of your life? That Stephen Eastland will be a name that when it's said, when it's heard, it conveys character. And anyone else in here, take your name. A good name is better than precious ointment. But look what he says in the second half of the verse. In the day of death, than the day of one's birth. Only a wise man can say that. We think birth is great. All right, now I've got a life to live. A wise man would say, death, great, my life is over. Because life properly lived is, what did he say? A sore travail for the sons of men to be exercised thereby. What exercise do you think God had in mind by this sore travail? To go hide in the trees or to come running at his feet begging for mercy in the face of coming judgment? That is per you know, how is your mind right now? Do you read a verse like that and think, that is sick? Or do you read a verse like that and you realize and you agree with me this morning that our society is sick? Amen. That is the wisdom of God. Amen. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. You say he must have a secondary meaning. Can we find a secondary meaning? Read the whole book. He comes up with the same thing. <clears throat> he agrees with the Apostle Paul who said, I'd rather depart. I'd rather be with the Lord than in this place. Verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. What's the house of mourning in context here? Well, let me read the rest of the verse so you can get the context. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. 
Did you know that you and I and all of us in here are going to the house of mourning? Where is the house of mourning? There's about five of them in Greenville. It's the funeral home. We're all going there. And it says, that is the end of all men. You're going there. I'm going there. We've got appointments made for us. We're going to the house of mourning. And it's better to go there than to go to the house of feasting. And the living will lay it to his heart. Is this just any man living or is this the wise man that's alive? The living wise man will lay it to his heart. You will take that text, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, and you'll lay it to your heart that it is better to go to a funeral home than to go to a party. There is no time for me to preach what I want to preach this morning. I'll take long enough, trust me, but there isn't enough time. So I'm going to paraphrase and chop my notes up here, but, I, but you'll get what, I, what the Lord wants you to get. Job, I read in Job chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, when his children would have birthday parties, go read about it in verses 4 and 5. Everyone on their day would have a feast. And what would Job do? Job would get up early in the morning and send to them and sanctify them and offer an offering and pray to God that perhaps in their partying they had blasphemed God in their heart and would God forgive them. That is a perfect man. That is a man that doesn't like parties, that sees through the party, that sees the danger of parties, that sees the risk of partying, and therefore he's calling God to forgive his children that if in the lightness and gaiety and mirth of a party, they might have blasphemed God in some way. It's better to go to the house of mourning. You know what we all think about when we go to a funeral, if it's somebody that was close to us, that we interacted with and saw them living? How do you walk away? Do you skip to your car? What do you think about that night when you lay in your bed? It's better. It's better. And we're, that's where we're all going. We're all going to the house of mourning. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. If that's true, what, is, what does better mean? What does better mean? We have better in verse 1, we have better in verse 2, we have better in verse 3. What, what are we going to say that it means? More profitable? More pleasing to God? More the evidence of a Right life? Something we should choose? Amen. Better, better, better. If God says it's better, what is it? Better. Sorrow is better than laughter. I want to ask you a question. If that is the truth of this universe, given sinful men in physical bodies on earth, why is Hollywood doing what they're doing? Who's behind it? What is the design of everything coming out of that cesspool to make us laugh? They say laughter is better. Let's get rid of all sorrow. What was the last? Can you give me the name of the last daytime or nighttime series that was designed to provoke sorrow in the viewers? You're working hard. Your mind's working overtime here. Can you come up with, come on, there has to be one. Okay, a movie. Designed to work godly sorrow. Not hopeless sorrow that would lead you to a seance. Godly sorrow. There is none. Satan is out for you and for me and for our society, our generation, our nation, and he's doing a very good job. The Lord's let him do it because we've turned our backs on him enough that the Lord is judging this nation with laughter. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. You are only made better when you are serious, sober, and reflecting, and musing, and examining yourself. You are not made better by being happy, and laughing, and having mirth. You are not made better when you are happily bouncing through life with a joke, with something good, or with entertainment. You are made better when you're grieving. And you come out of that better. I'm as guilty of this as everyone in here. Anyone in here. I'm more guilty. I used to be less guilty than I am now. And I wasn't comparing myself to you. 
The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Entertainment. Turn the radio on. Get in the car. Turn the radio on. Go to bed. Turn the radio on. Get up in the morning with a clock radio. Turn the radio on. Mirth. Laughter. What are the morning talk shows? What are they based on? Insanity. Insanity. It is mad, the wise man would say. I like your answer. It agrees with chapter 2, verse 2. It is mad. They start you out that way in the morning. What do you end up with at night if you let the world dictate the way you think at all? Sitcoms. In constant insanity. Laughter every few seconds. In the Bible, it's called a prating fool. A chattering idiot. Proverbs 10, verse 8, a prating fool. Okay. That's the world. We're not worrying about the world. Let them laugh themselves to hell. What about us? How much are they affecting us? Where is the gravity of previous generations? Where is the gravity of a Bible person and character? We're so caught up in trash. What's the trash? Verse 6, it says, The cat crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. If you've ever put thorn bushes or weeds or things under a fire, they just disappear in a blaze of light and crackling noise, and there's no substance to it. You need a log that burns long and low to get anything done. And that's what a child of God ought to be. Long. We're in this for the long haul. Not for five minutes of laughter. It's better to hear in the crackling of thorns under a pot, verse 6, so is the laughter of the fool. There's nothing to it. There's no substance in his madness. That is the wise man. That is the lesson of, the, of this morning. That is the, the lesson from God to each one of you. We have, we have years to live if the Lord tarries. How will we live them? Will we live them soberly and with gravity? Or are we going to live them in this superficial type of Christianity where we're half look, we look like the world. We act like the world. True Christianity is a very sober thing. There's plenty of joy in it, but that's not my topic for this morning. I'll tell you what, anybody that spends any time fasting and mourning and grieving and in sorrow will come out of it with joy that lasts forever. That's right. I could turn you to verses, but I don't, that's not my purpose this morning. Whether there is any joy or not for the Christian doesn't matter. All we may care about this morning is, what does the Bible say about this particular lesson? Why did Felix tremble and we don't? Moses wrote a similar thing in Psalm 90. He said, our days, if we live to be 80, are nothing but toil and trouble. And therefore, we ought to number our days and apply our hearts unto wisdom. Not apply our hearts unto pleasure. Not apply our hearts unto entertainment. Not apply our hearts unto laughter. Not apply our hearts unto fun. Not apply our hearts to amusement. To apply our hearts to wisdom. You say, but that sounds like work. And you're making all of life work. Sore travail for the sons of man to be exercised thereby. Does that, does that, would you consider exercise work? That's right then. That's the design of it. To work us, to make us better. The Lord will take care of you. He said, my burden is light. You ever get under the yoke completely and you'll find out how light it is. But if you're out there in the world's shoes looking at the yoke, you say, man, that thing looks heavy. You know what I'm talking about? If you're sitting in front of a sitcom laughing your sides out with Jim Carrey, if I were to walk in and say, Let's read the Gospel of Matthew over the next two hours and talk about it. That sounds like a pretty heavy yoke. Or if someone else was to walk in, I'd be in the same shoes. If we're, try if we're trying to get a little bit from the world, when we see the yoke, it looks heavy. If you get under the yoke, it's light. Jesus said it would be light. Amen. Satan, do you believe that he exists? 
Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start turning now. The lesson comes from Ecclesiastes, but I just we just got to hit a few more verses just to prove the point that it's throughout the Bible, this God's dealing with the sickness of our society that we all have in our lives that keeps us from trembling like we should and living like we should. God hates laughter. And I won't qualify it. I hope you are wise enough to qualify it in your own hearts. The laughter of this world, which is what we're talking about. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we're not going to, I don't have a petition on the back table from the American Family Association or whatever it's called so that we can send it to Hollywood and ask them for a, a few less sitcoms. We're not going to boycott somebody because they have advertisements on some of the sitcoms. That's a waste of time. That's a satanic delusion, thinking you're doing something profitable. Do you know what something profitable is? Getting the sitcoms out of your house. Amen. It's not worrying about somebody else's house. Let them laugh themselves to hell. At least they'll have some laughter now. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, so it's not Hollywood, but against principalities. What's a principality? It's a state. It's a political entity. Against powers. Authority with position. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And that is not the Illuminati. The Illuminati has never caused Christians any problems. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. That isn't Satan worshipers in the White House. That entire verse, every bit of it, 100% applies to Satan and his demons. Paul couldn't have cared less what Nero was thinking about doing to Christians, or Nero sitting down with the Senate of Rome going to do anything. Because that is flesh and blood. The Illuminati is flesh and blood. The CFR is flesh and blood. Hollywood is flesh and blood. The National Education Association is flesh and blood. The high places is where Satan is because he was created very high. So high that when Michael the archangel had a disagreement with him over the body of Moses, he didn't dare rail against him, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. This whole verse is about a kingdom. Jesus said, If Satan be divided, how can his, his what? His kingdom stand. He has a kingdom. He has generals under him, and those generals have corporals under them, and those corporals have many demons, legions of them, to do his bidding. And that's what we wrestle against. And the reason I bring up that text is Hollywood, forget them, look beyond that to a being that does not want you to bring glory and praise to God during your lifetime. And if he can get you coming in here every... If he can get me coming in here every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening, but in between spending a lot of our time in laughter and mirth and the seeking of pleasure and enjoyment, guess who's won? God or Satan? We have chosen to let Satan win and take us off from the worship of God. Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah chapter 22. This problem isn't new. There was a time, though, for 1260 years when Satan was bound from deceiving nations that he tried persecution. And that's when the martyrs gave their lives for their faith. Guess what? The gospel flourished. I mean, it flourished. Cardinal Hosea stood up at the Council of Trent in the late 1500s and said, These Anabaptists, we've cut them with the knife for 1200 years. And they flourish. There's more than if there's there's more now than when we began. That didn't work. So what does he do? If he gets us all laughing and all seeking pleasure and all having a gay approach toward life, he's been successful. He's taken us off from righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. In Isaiah 22, I read in verse 12, and in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning, and to baldness, and to girding with sackcloth, 
Those are the things we should be doing given the state of our nation and the state of our souls at times. But instead of what the Lord called for, here's what he saw. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And it was revealed in mine ears by the Lord of hosts, Surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die, saith the Lord God of hosts. He called for soberness. He called for sobriety. They gave him laughter. He said, you'll never see any soberness then, and I'll kill you in your laughter. Isaiah 22, it's not a new problem. We have a foolish nature. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Paul, Paul says, we ourselves also were foolish. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So we grow up that way. And if we don't arrest it and stop it and correct it and transform it, it just grows like a plant. And we've got to stop it. The, in Galatians chapter 5, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. Your flesh loves to laugh because it takes your spirit off of accomplishing anything. You say, well, let me read that Galatians chapter 5 further. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, murder, so on, so forth. Then it comes to wild words like revelings, revelings, parties, put it in modern language, parties, laughing, joking. That is a work, not just a work of the flesh, it is a manifest work of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. This know that in the last days perilous times shall come. What's a perilous time according to 2 Timothy chapter 3? Men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. What's a lover of God going to be like? How much laughing is he going to be doing? It's too sober to laugh much. I mean, there's things to laugh about, I don't, but I don't want to mention them. I want to show you that I can preach without any balance. You know the balance. The lover of God will be fasting, praying, seeking his face, loving his word, devouring his word. The lover of pleasure is going to be constantly looking for the easy way out. Dinner, party, laugh, joke, entertainment, TV. Blow my mind away. Music. Turn the radio on. Blow out any serious thinking. The, man, the, the lover of God will be seeking God with serious thinking because that's what the Lord expects. That's how we seek Him. Is with serious thinking and reading this word. This isn't a light, this isn't a joke book. As our nation declines in maturity, and if you can't see that by looking at our president and a whole lot of other public leaders, as our whole nation declines in general maturity, we act more and more like children. Therefore, there's more and more foolishness because foolishness is bound in the hearts of children. As children become more and more the leaders and oppressors of our nation, divorcing parents, setting laws and so forth, you know, the, what is it called, the, the year of the child or... So, am I, did I have that correct? The something, the year of the child. <laughs> well, that is worth laughing about. That is such folly to call a year of the child. How about the year of the parent? How about the year of the father? You know, and and raise up some real fathers. But as our nation goes down and children become our oppressors, we see more and more folly. And brethren, I want to tell you something. The difficulty of raising our children soberly in this generation is, is very high. It's very difficult to do. There is, there is a buffet for them to find an outlet for their foolish hearts. You know, if when you lived on 40 acres and all they got to see was the wagging tail of the ass in front of their plow and to move hay and to pick up eggs and milk cows, it was different than it is today. 
Now they've got their little CD packs and Nintendo games and all this garbage that all it, any serious thinking is gone. I'm not preaching at you any more than I'm preaching at me, and this isn't even from me, it's from the Lord. It's what the Bible says. The Lord's able to make this nation sober, and someday he will. Do you know how long it'll take? It'll take this long. Jesus once said, For as in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the day the rain came. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. You want to get sober? Think about that for a minute. As in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the flood came. And judgment's coming. That'll be worse than the flood. Look at Titus chapter 2. What does the New Testament say about this subject? What word do you think is used in the New Testament to describe what I'm trying to teach this morning? What word? Sober. Sober. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. Here's what the grace of God should teach us. Here's why He's been gracious to us, for us to do these things. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You say it's too hard in this present world. Well, he's told us we got to do it. So we're going to do it. Amen. Are we going to do it? Amen. We've got to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Even though it's against us looking for that blessed hope. Why is it a blessed hope? Because it'll get us out of this pig pen. Right. And if it's not a pig pen to you, then you haven't done verse 11. Looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. I, I cannot wait for that day to see those sitcom actors and actresses and directors and producers see Him from 1 Timothy chapter 6, who in His time shall show that He is the one and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I want to see how much laughing they do when they're confessing that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is coming. That is more real than dropping a hymnal and having gravity take it to earth. Right. That is an illusion. Because gravity will end. But God is not going to end, nor the righteous demands He places on all those creatures that are to worship Him and to please Him. It is coming. That's why it should be a blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. And you will be peculiar if you live this sermon out 10%. Zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That is the truth of God's word. And on the heels of it, Paul said, preach it, teach it, rebuke, and don't let any man despise what you're saying. Go for it. Titus. That's in verse 11 and 12. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Is the word used elsewhere in this chapter? Get a load of this. Verse 2. Well, let's get verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Don't get confused about doctrine. Doctrine is not sitting around learning the ins and outs of the sonship of Jesus Christ and the ins and outs of limited atonement. You want to know sound doctrine? Live soberly. Can I prove it? Here's sound doctrine, verse 2, that the aged men be sober. Wow, why would he say it twice in one chapter? That the aged men be sober. You mean even an old man can be foolish? Sober. Why didn't he leave it? Why didn't he quit there and say sober, temperate, sound in faith? What did he say after sober? Grave. Why did he repeat himself with another word? Same thing. Grave. I like the word grave. That is a lesson in itself, doesn't it? Because that's where we're all going and the, and the living will lay it to heart. <laughs> grave. So we better be grave before we get to the grave. You'll be grave in the grave. That the aged men be sober, 
grave. Verse 3, the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. What are good things that they should teach? That they may teach the young women to be sober. You're kidding me. We've got it again. Even though the apostle just said that women should be likewise, isn't that good enough to say the women should be likewise the aged men? No, he repeats it again. Sober. We come down to verse 6. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. Now doesn't that seem a little redundant to you and a waste of space and precious effort of the Holy Spirit? No. No. Look at it in one chapter. I can go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 and other places and show the importance that God places on women being sober because women will be reduced to folly more quickly than a man will. And then I can go and show you that the ministry had better be an example of sobriety and gravity in their position of leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be sober? It means to be grave, serious, solemn, indicating or implying a serious mind or purpose. What does it mean to be grave? Weighty dignity, reverend seriousness, serious, not mirthful or jocular, opposed to gay. You're close to the end of the Bibles. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Did you see that even the Apostle Paul taught it? Who reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, and Felix trembled. 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Do you know what it's going to take for you to be sober and to change and to be different? Gird up the loins of your mind. Put on a mental girdle so that you're not just flopping and hanging out all over the place in laughter and foolishness. Gird it up. Tighten it up. Restrain it. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we, when we talk about grace, we talk about grace that occurred on Calvary And we forget this grace because we don't think we need this grace because, after all, life is pretty good now. But if we were living right, examining ourselves, knowing how sinful we are and what a wicked nation that we live in the midst of, and the poor state of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this place, we would be looking for the grace that is to be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. But we don't feel a need for that because we don't feel in need. Because we're happy. Be happy. Psalm 143, the psalmist says, I will muse of all thy works. I've, I've been over this before. I've been over this before for me. I will muse of all thy works. Muse is the work of the mind, and it is exercise, and it is hard, and it takes time and focused effort. What do you think amuse means? Without thought or thinking. What's an amusement park? Is it a fun park? No, it means a no thinking place. Literally, specifically, it's a no thinking place. Any form of amusement, any form of amusement is a no thinking thing that you're engaged in. And what does God want us to do? I will consider the works of old. I will muse on the works of thy hand. Psalm 143 and verse 5. Where do you think amuse is found in the list of things that a child of God ought to be pursuing? When does the Lord want us to ever do anything without our minds? Never. Gird up the loins of your mind. When I think of the modern child training philosophy... We need to remember verses like Lamentations 3.27 where it says, It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Do you know what our generation says? 
Let them be children. Let them be children. Please don't make them grow up too fast. Let them be children. What is a child but a jackass? No wisdom, no understanding, entirely foolish. Let them be children. The Bible says, let them bear the yoke in their youth. Ephesians chapter 5. That was the commandment. We saw the lesson in Ecclesiastes. The situation is that it's horrible. The commandment is that we are to be sober. Now the condemnation. What is the condemnation? What does God condemn? Look at Ephesians chapter 5. And it could not be any plainer. It couldn't be any stronger. And will it convince you and me? Will it convince us enough to change? Ephesians chapter 5. Be ye there, first verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. I hope you and I are here today because we want to be followers of God. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Saints won't have these three things. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient. I remember being taught that jesting which is not convenient, that there's good jesting and there's bad jesting. That isn't the use of that little clause there, which are not convenient. Which are not convenient is describing all three things, filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting. They are absolutely always, all of the time, inconvenient. Amen. All of them. All three of them. And I, I like the word neither there at the beginning of verse 4, which means that fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking and jesting are all in the same category. Amen. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. God in wrath is coming to judge America. You want a prophetic sermon? Here it is. God is coming to judge America. Soon. For its foolish talking and jesting. Because what's so funny? Back to the title of my sermon. What's so funny? What a text. What a text. You mean the Apostle Paul knew the word jest? You mean he used it? He, he knew it. And he used it. And he said that it's in the same category with fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, which is idolatry, and that God is coming to judge the world because of that. And foolish talking, you know, chattering and just fool, just, you know, if you turn on, turn on the radio, have a good day. What's it filled with? This, this lesson isn't hard for you to see the other side, I hope. Our whole society is bombarding you to be the opposite of what this is. In fact, and it's already been so successful, do you know what you're all thinking? Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. God in wrath is coming to judge America. You want a prophetic sermon? Here it is. God is coming to judge America. Soon. For it's foolish talking and jesting. Because what's so funny? Back to the title of my sermon. What's so funny? What a text. What a text. You mean the Apostle Paul knew the word jest? You mean he used it? He, he knew it, and he used it, and he said that it's in the same category with fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, which is idolatry, and that God is coming to judge the world because of that. And foolish talking. You know, chattering and just fool, just, you know, if you turn on, turn on the radio, have a good day. What's it filled with? This, this lesson isn't hard for you to see the other side, I hope. Our whole society is bombarding you to be the opposite of what this is. In fact, and it's already been so successful, do you know what you're all thinking? That is too far out! 
That is extreme. I'd really be weird if I was anything like that. You will be. Amen. And we should be. If we're not, then we violated Romans chapter 12 where it says, be not conformed to this world. If we, if we don't look weird, then we've conformed, haven't we? You want to find out if you've compromised or not? You look like everyone else. You act like everyone else. And you can go do the things with everyone else. What a text, though. I don't want to leave it. It's too good. Do you know what it says? It says that filthy, filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting are not convenient. Does that word, not convenient, grip you? It grips me, and I want it to grip you because of Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 that says God will give them over to a reprobate mind to do things which are not convenient. Whoa! Do you mean foolish talking and jesting is in the same category as sodomy? Amen. Is sodomy mad? That answers the question, doesn't it? They're in the same category. They're unnatural. They're so foolish to chatter when we are sinners that are going to face a holy and an angry God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Man, if I act anything like what he's saying, I'll be weird. The Bible doesn't know the word weird. It's got another one just the same. means the very same thing because... God knew that's just what we'd think. 1 Peter chapter 4. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Jesus died for you in the flesh. Arm yourselves. Get ready for a fight in the same way because you're going to have to suffer in the flesh. That means you're going to have to put some things down that you like and suffer. Arm yourselves. It's a a war that we're fighting with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it weird that ye run not with them to the same... They think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Go ahead and let them make fun of you. They're going to have to give an answer to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God knew that you would think that it would be weird, so he used the word strange, which is the New Testament word for weird. You're going to be different. They're going to think you weird. So what? They're going to have to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is banqueting? Indulgence in luxurious entertainment, feasting, and carousal. What is reveling, riotous, or noisy mirth or merrymaking? Noisy festivity, dancing, games, masking, acting, other forms of lively entertainment. Since we've got bad habits in this matter, it's going to take temperance, which is discipline, self-discipline, and mortification, which is putting to death, to get out of them. So it's going to be painful but for someone that loves the Lord it shouldn't be very painful because knowing you're doing what pleases him more and this is a message from the Lord that we're not pleasing him enough because we live in too jocular of a generation this sore travail hath God given the sons of man to be exercised therewith and the exercise of godliness that we're going to have to go through is trying to cut out more of the levity and add more of the sobriety to our lives and to our minds by girding them up. We should be like Job, and every time there's a festive event, we should be looking for the risk and the danger involved in a festive event 
and asking God for forgiveness if anything slipped during that light entertainment or light time together. Job did for his sons. And you know what God bragged about Job? How many of you want to be bragged about in the halls of heaven by God saying, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. Righteous, escheweth evil, hates parties because he knows the risks. Wow, that's foreign language to every one of us. We should, we should not resent temptation and afflictions and trials that come. We should rejoice in them. This is part of a grave approach toward life. There's going to be trouble. You cannot protect yourself from trouble in this life. You can't get enough insurance. You can't do things carefully enough not to have trouble because God has given this sore travail to be exercised therewith. But when bad things happen, what's the Lord trying to teach me? Let's see if I can handle this. I'm looking forward to this earache that's throbbing in my head. How can I do the best job I can today in spite of the flu that's making me run to the restroom? Lord, it's painful and I don't really like it, but I know you've got a purpose in sending it. I'm thinking of two brothers, and you both know who I'm talking about. They both thanked the Lord for their deliverance last week. But that's part of the sore travail. You're not going to take vitamins to keep from having the flu. You're not going to keep yourself from having earaches if you've got a tendency toward them. When we get an affliction or a trial, we count it all joy. Amen. James chapter 1. Now that's a different approach to life. Count it all joy. Now that, see, I'm there, that's that balance side I don't really want to get into. But the Bible says you can have joy in afflictions because you know that God is making you perfect. You can't make perfect laughing. You're made perfect with pain. Trials bring out the impurities in gold so that we can raise the carats from 18, which is not gold, to 24 carat. has to take fire and heat and trouble. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. When you're watching a television program, when you're watching a movie, if we can do any of either of those two things, when you're reading a book, when you're reading a magazine, when you're listening to the radio, if we can do those things, are you doing it to the glory of God? Does this glorify God? Am I exercising my mind right now to the glory of God? Is God pleased that I'm exercising my mind toward him right now. That's a verse. Whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. That's, and if, if we did that soberly, and if we did it honestly, it'd cut out a whole lot of stuff, wouldn't it? Yeah. Gatherings. Whenever we get together, two couples, three couples, more couples. In my old age, here's some advice. The more participants that you have in a gathering, the more need you have for a leader or an agenda. Without a leader or agenda, gatherings will always decline to the LCD, the lowest common denominator that everyone's comfortable with. You know what that is? Folly. Foolish talking, chattering, prating fools, giggling, low level, not girding up the loins of our mind, not giving thanks with every word that's coming out of our mouths, not glorifying God. It reduces to the comfort level of everyone where there isn't a leader or an agenda. Some will say, well, if you have a leader or an agenda for every time you get together, that doesn't sound like very much fun. How are you defining fun? Amusing? Fun? If it's musing, I don't want to get into that balance. But musing can be fun. Amen. Musing can bring joy to your heart. It can be exciting to compare the good things the Lord has done for one another, to consider His works of old. Yea, even laugh about the great works of God together. 
and to rejoice. God is great. Look what he did. They said he was a God of the valleys, and so we'll fight them on a hilltop. Yeah, right. He said, who is the Lord? Famous last words. Is that worth laughing over? As long as we do it soberly and righteously, if we do it hypocritically, oh, we're just as bad as Pharaoh. Whenever you get together, two couples are easier than three, three couples are easier than four. When you get together, if there's not a leader or an agenda, I've never seen it violated. This rule is as true as gravity. You will reduce to the LCD, the lowest common denominator, which is foolishness. Think about it. You've been there. I've been there. So, whenever you have a gathering, you're going out to dinner, you're having a dinner date. Oh, the work that it takes. Yeah, but it wouldn't be fun. Oh, it can be great. I don't know what the word means. That word isn't in the Bible, so I won't use it. I don't know what it means. Can you have a joyous time with brethren with your loins girded up? Amen. Yes. But you won't without working at it. Nothing that God requires comes by nature. You're not going to sit down and have a meal and have what God wants you to accomplish at that meal naturally happen. You're not going to get up in the morning and naturally be a righteous man all day. It's godly discipline, it's temperance, and it's mortification. And that's what you got to do when you get together. And right now we have an occasion every month to practice this. At the end of this gathering, can you offer a prayer without it sounding hypocritical or being out of place? That has always been a great measure. At the end of your time together, have a prayer. And if, the, if you're thinking, I don't know if I want to have a prayer at the end of this one, you know, what, you know what kind of a gathering that's been. It's been for the worse and not for the better. Amen. But if you can offer a prayer at the end of it, in a good conscience, without any thoughts of hypocrisy, you're out of, without it being out of place, you've had a gathering for the better. And the glory of God, that's a little rule of thumb. Question yourself every time you laugh. Every time you laugh. Was it laughter for the glory of God? Was it laughter based on wisdom? Was it laughter based on a girded up mind? Or was it folly? Was it foolish talking and jesting? Why did I laugh? You say, well, if I'm doing that all the time, I won't laugh as much. Thank you for picking up the point. Check, you're laughing. Why did I laugh? Why did I say something to make someone laugh? What did I say? What did it provoke? Was it for their profit? Was it gracious? Question yourself every time you laugh. Would the Lord laugh if he'd have been standing with me? Would he have felt that it was... The Lord can laugh. Would he have felt that it was appropriate? Would I have been embarrassed if the Lord had been there? Would I not have said it if the Lord had been there? We have to train our children. This is the application of the lesson. Television is a very active and effective tool of Satan to eliminate sobriety. School and friends have to be monitored and managed to train wisdom and gravity. There's very few friends your children are going to find that are going to in cause them to increase in gravity. Responsibility and hardship are not evil things that helped our grandparents stay sober. Do, do you know the difference in the last two generations? Did you ever... Did you ever sit and talk with your grandparents? Totally different. Can you get your children to consider in their youth what Solomon advised in Ecclesiastes chapter 12? Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth before the evil days come. It's a little easier when the evil days come. But remember them now in your youth and strength. We need to spend time examining ourselves as we're commanded to do it. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. You can't examine yourself laughing. You can't examine yourself being entertained by Hollywood. The whole purpose of Satan in that programming is to blow your mind out so that you don't examine yourself. It is not an accident, brethren. What is on television is not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It is a design 
by a wise and subtle being that could take a man and a woman in a garden with perfection all around them with one commandment and a God that walked and talked with them every day and get them to sin against that God. Now, is that crafty? We don't have it nearly so easy. Therefore, our efforts should be even greater. And do you know what it says when dealing with the devil in James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5 verses that I'm not even able to get to today? Be sober and vigilant for your adversary, the devil. Why would it start with those words, be sober? Because a loose mind and a laughing mind and a foolish mind is a, is a devil's workshop. I have no more this morning. The lesson is from Ecclesiastes, the wise man who tried it all and who warned us that the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments, also said that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting and that sorrow is better than laughter. The situation is we live in the midst of a devil-controlled society that is bombarding us with a buffet of amusements and entertainments to take us off of being the sober, righteous, great men that the Lord is looking for. The commandment is, be sober. The condemnation is, no foolish talking or jesting. The application is, every time we laugh, every time we're together, every opportunity we have with our children, we need to create a standard that is different than our nation. Very different. And we must spend time musing and girding up the loins of our minds towards sober, serious thinking about life and its realities and the reality of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ and be hoping for that glorious day when he's going to appear and stop all the laughing. And hopefully if we've lived righteously, we can look forward to that day. I'm telling you, if you're caught watching a Jim Carrey movie or a sitcom when Jesus Christ comes or if I'm caught, doing anything like that. Woe to me in that day. We now know better. We've been reminded this message is from the Lord. Don't hate me. Hate the Lord if you're going to hate anyone because it's from Him. But I pray that you won't do that because that'd be the heart of a devil. Love the Lord. This is true. His word is true. It's not that painful. If you, When you look at the yoke from a seat of hypocrisy, it looks heavy. If you'll get into the yoke, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you'll find rest for your souls. And for those of you who've tried both, there is no rest, even the laughter of the world. The true rest is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He can give peace to you you'll find nowhere else. And we can look forward to that crossing of Jordan with excitement because Canaan is there, and it's called the blessed hope. And hope in the Bible is not a perchance. Hope in the Bible is patiently waiting for where we're all going. And may the Lord bless the preaching of his word and make some sober Christians out of this, most of all, me.